Well, welcome once again to our new sermon series called Unlikely Missionaries. Throughout the series, we are going to be looking at a theme that runs throughout the Bible. And that theme is how God picks people who you and I would never pick to be his messengers, to be his missionaries. And I kind of like to picture it like a kickball game. Think back to grade school, those times when you were playing kickball, and there's two captains. And who are the two captains going to pick first? Well, normally you would expect it would be like that big sixth grader that's really fast, good at catching the ball, has like unusually large calves for their age, that's like really good at kicking. Uh, that's the kid who normally gets picked first. But instead, if God was a captain, he would pick that scrawny, uncoordinated kid. The kid that doesn't even really want to be there, but the teacher makes him play anyways. He's not fast, he's not good at catching, he's not good at kicking. But that's the type of person who God picks in the Bible over and over again to be his missionaries. We just read a story from Jonah. Uh, it's a story that maybe many of you grow up, we were, it's famous because you know he got swallowed by a giant whale or giant fish. And what happened with Jonah? God called him to be a missionary, to go to Nineveh, and you know what Jonah did? He went in the exact opposite direction. He said, you want me to be a missionary here? I'm going over here. Don't make me do it. Not exactly an all-star missionary who you and I would pick to be a messenger of God's love, right? And what about you and me? Who is the scrawny, uncoordinated kid in this room when it comes to being a missionary? Is it you who says, I'm kind of shy, I'm a little bit of an introvert, so talking to a stranger, that's really hard for me. I just better not talk about Jesus to anyone. Or is it you who says, I have such a messed up past. If you knew about my marriage problems, my drinking problems, my addiction, if you heard about all the terrible things that I've done and how I'm still a piece of work right now, you'd never want to use me as a messenger of God's love. Or what about you? who didn't grow up in the church, you didn't grow up as a Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, and you constantly kind of think that you're just behind everyone else. The person next to you knows way more about the Bible than I do. I didn't grow up hearing these stories, so what if they ask me a hard question, and I, I, I can't even know myself that well, so how would you expect me to talk to other people about Jesus? But God loves to pick the unlikely. And God picks you. Because it's not about you. It's about God and his power and his love. So, throughout this series, I want to convince you that God picks you. God picks you to be his missionary. Even if you think you're unqualified, even if you don't think you're good at it, God picks you. And we're going to look at six different stories during the next six weeks of who Jesus picked as his followers, as his missionaries while he lived in this life. And it's people that you and I would never pick prostitutes, tax collectors. We're going to look at a story about a demon-possessed man. We're going to look at uneducated fishermen. All the people who you and I would never choose to be a disciple, that's who Jesus picks. And if he picks people like that, couldn't he pick you? Couldn't he pick you to be his missionary? So today we are going to look at the story of how Jesus picks his very first missionary. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. 
When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So this story happened immediately after the story of where Jesus calmed the storm. It's a pretty popular story. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. Giant storm comes. The disciples get scared. Jesus stands up and says, hey, waves, be quiet. And the waves become completely still. And the disciples are left looking at each other saying, who is this guy? And while they're still saying that, they get to the other side of the lake. And now this story happens where they get out of the boat on the other side of the lake and there is this man with an impure spirit waiting for them, meaning a man who is possessed by demons. Which is really interesting about where Jesus picks his first missionary. He doesn't go to a seminary classroom. He doesn't go to a Jewish synagogue. Instead, he goes to a cemetery. This demon-possessed man was living out in the graveyards because no one else wanted anything to do with him. This man had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this is the type of guy who, when you're walking out with your wife and children, you're like, hey, let's cross the street, go over to this side instead, stay away from this type of guy. He's a madman. He would cut himself. He would hurt himself. He would cry out day and night. And the people, they didn't know what to do with him. So they tried to chain him up, but that didn't work. He got out of the chains. They tried to keep themselves safe and away from him. So they told him, go live in the graveyard. This was a madman, and he was treated like an outcast. And he walks up to Jesus. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his feet in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. So this man who is possessed by demons runs up to Jesus and he immediately falls at Jesus' feet. Which I think is very interesting because even the demons recognize Jesus' authority. There are many people in this world that, you know, they think to themselves, ah, does God exist? I'm not quite sure or not. But the demons, they're smarter than that. They recognize Jesus' authority And they fall at Jesus' feet and ask him, please don't torture us, talking about this impending judgment that's coming, about how one day they will be tortured in hell forever. Which I think is a very different view than how you and I normally see Jesus and Satan. There's this crazy picture on um, on the internet that I see quite a bit, and like I said, it's crazy. It's a picture of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. And I think this kind of gives us insight into how often we see Jesus and Satan. Like, one's the king of good, and one's the king of evil, and they kind of just, like, battle it out here and there. But really, this picture is very wrong, because it's not an equal battle between Jesus and Satan. Jesus won. God is in control of all things. Satan and demons are underneath God's power. And a picture, instead of seeing Jesus as like an a arm-wrestling match, I think the picture from the story that we see is a much big, better picture of how we should see Satan and demons. When Satan and demons see Jesus, they fall at his feet. They recognize him as the Lord. And they are nervous about his power that he has. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
So Jesus asks this man his name, and the demons respond with, my name is Legion. And this is kind of a play on words. Legion back then was a number of Roman soldiers. If you had a legion of soldiers, that would normally be about 6,000 soldiers. So what this man is saying is that there are many, many demons inside of him. Maybe not 6,000, but many, many, many. There are so many demons living inside this man. And so Jesus asked them his name, and they beg again not to send him out of the area. But a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And this is an unusual part of the story. So these demons, they asked to be sent away. They said, don't get us out of the area. Let us go into the pigs instead. And Jesus said, yes. And so these demons rush into 2,000 pigs, and the pigs immediately rush themselves off a mountain and kill themselves, and they drown in the water. Like I said, kind of weird. Um, so I'll just ask the question that all of you are thinking. What's the deal with the pigs? Uh, whenever I tell this story, that's usually the first thing people ask about is, why would God let those cute little piggies drown? You know, you ask something like that. Which I find is very interesting because probably half of you are going to go home and eat a ham sandwich and bacon and eggs. and But those poor pigs, right? Um, but let me ask you this. Did Jesus kill the pigs? No. The demons killed the pigs. And I think that's an important lesson for us to recognize about demons. Because throughout the Bible, when you talk about spiritual warfare, demons, Satan, uh, there's really two messages that the Bible gives us. And they're very short, very easy. Point number one, they are real. Satan is real. Demons are real. Witchcraft is real. Number, point number two, stay away from it. That's it. That's all the Bible really says about it. It says that these things are real, and you should stay away from it. You want to see a reason why you should stay away from it? Check out what the demons did to the pigs. They are reckless. They want to destroy things. And they are sent to try and hurt and harm us as well. So stay away from it. And what's really interesting is that the people were upset about the pigs as well back then. Not because of animal rights or something like that. Uh, They were upset for a different reason. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town. They saw the man who had been possessed by demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So So Jesus healed the man who had demons. He used to cut himself. He used to not wear clothes. He'd run around screaming. But now the people, they came and saw, this man looks okay. He has clothes on again. He got himself looking nice. He's not screaming out in pain. He was healed. But they weren't excited about this. Instead, they were upset because it hurt their wallets. These were pig farmers. This was The Decapolis was a Gentile area. We know that because Jewish people wouldn't just have 2,000 pigs running around. They were unclean. And they were upset because they would make money off of pigs. And so they said, Jesus, get out of here. Which is interesting because if someone read the story today 
and we're upset about the pigs. It might be something to do with animal rights and doesn't God care about animals. But you look back then and they're upset too uh, because of it hurt their wallets. And both those reasons kind of fall into the same problem. That these people, anyone who would say that about those poor piggies, they all care more about an animal than they do about a person. Because when I read through the story, I've never once had somebody say afterwards, thank goodness that Jesus helped this poor man who was possessed by demons and was terrorized throughout his whole life. Instead, we bring up things about the pigs. Instead, we talk about how upset the people were because they lost their way of income. But Jesus teaches us a valuable lesson, that he cares about human life, how he cares about us as people, and that's his most prized possession even more so than pigs. Everyone else, they couldn't offer this man any help. No one else could help this man. You know what they tried to do? They tried to push him away. We don't want to see you. We don't want to think about you. Get away from us. But Jesus is the only one who had true compassion and the ability to help him. And Jesus helped this man. And as you can imagine how this was the only man that could help him, uh, the demon-possessed man... um, wanted to go with Jesus. He said, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He wanted to be a missionary. You would assume this would be a good attitude, right? He said, Jesus, I know you're going on trips. You're talking about your love to all sorts of different people. And I want to go with you. I want to share that gospel message with you. But Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So instead of going to all these faraway lands, Jesus says, you know what, instead I want you to go to your family. I want you to go to your neighbors, people that know you. And I want you to talk about all the great things that I have done for you. Because, isn't that interesting, that these people would have known what the demon-possessed man was like, They would have heard his screams. They would have seen his rugged beard and his uh, loud cries day and night. And now he says, don't go far away. Stay right here. Show the people what the Lord has done for you. And that's just what the demon-possessed man did. So the man went away and began to tell the people in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. And all the people were amazed. And that's the story of how Jesus healed the the demon-possessed man and called him to be a missionary. It's a story about how Jesus has had compassion on one single man. And that story reminds me of another story. A story about a man who also went through an incredible deal of pain, who on the cross hung naked, cried out day and night, and had his body thrown into a tomb. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. The story of how Jesus Christ, he helped one man in this story, but on his death on the cross, he helped everybody by dying on the cross and going through all that pain so that we will never have to. By nature, because of our sins, because of what we've done wrong, we deserve to be that outcast. We deserve to be that person that goes through God's eternal pain. But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, all of our sins are forgiven forever, and we are welcome to a home in heaven. That's how God has compassion on us. That's what God has done for us. And that's the message that we have to share with others about the mercy that God has shown us. 
And from the story now, I want to give you three quick takeaways, three quick life applications from the story that you can apply to your life. And the first is, don't think that anyone is beyond saving. I know you know people in your life who aren't fond of religion, who don't believe in Jesus. And there are probably some people in your life, if that person ever was converted, you would just be shocked. You say, that person? That person came to faith in Jesus? My stern father? My friend who makes all those jokes about religion? My partying cousin that has no interest in going to church? That person was converted? I'm sure it would shock you. So don't write anyone off. Because if God can heal a man who is possessed by 6,000 demons and bring him to faith, don't you think that God could bring that person to faith in your life as well? So don't write anyone off. Don't think that anyone is beyond saving. Second, mission work starts at home, but it doesn't end there. I find that it's very interesting that Jesus told the demon-possessed man to stay where he is and to share the message right where he is living. Because often when we talk about missionaries, what's the first thing you think of? You think of somebody going through some jungle in Africa, taking a plane trip to China, or going to some faraway country and talking about Jesus there. And that's good. Those are missionaries. But instead, I want you to think about New Hope and Crystal and Robbinsdale and Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center, Maple Grove, Plymouth, all the areas around us, Minneapolis. I want you to think about your own home. I want you to think about the family members in your life that don't know about Jesus yet. I want you to think about your neighbors because there are people who live right around us that don't know about Jesus. And he is calling us to be missionaries right where we live in our home. But that mission work doesn't stop there. We are also called as Christians to support world missions, whether we do that through our financial gifts or prayers. We are called to be missionaries and support that effort. And finally, turn your mess into a message. I see a lot of messed up people out here. You know it. I know it. It's true of myself as well. There are people who have had big marriage problems, drinking problems, ugly past, pet sins, all sorts of messes in your life. But my challenge to you is to turn your mess into a, mess, into a message. Don't be afraid to talk about your dark past. Don't be afraid to talk about your struggles in your life. Talk about the grace that God has shown you. Talk about the love that he has shown you, that even though you're messed up, even though you've done terrible things in your life, talk about how that's just a greater example of God's grace about how much he cares about you. And even though you're a messed up person, you're, a piece, of, you're a, a piece of work in progress, you are God's work in progress. Turn your mess into a message and don't be afraid to share about that to other people. Because God loves to choose unlikely missionaries. He chose me and he chose you. And even if you wouldn't have picked yourself, if you wouldn't pick yourself to be the all-star missionary that God needs, God picks you anyways. Because God loves to pick the scrawny, uncoordinated kid to be on his divine kickball team. And God loves to pick unlikely people like you and me to be his messengers. So my prayer and hope is that we get to be his missionaries and share the love of Jesus Christ that we know. We pray, do this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.